Hello, this is Dan Sullivan, and I am with CIBC Private Wealth, where I lead our private and consumer banking team across the U.S. And welcome to our first episode of Financing Your Future, where our plan is to bring in experts from our team to discuss topics and suggestions that we're hearing from clients where they're seeking advice. No matter what the banking question is, whether it's deposit-related or financing-related, our professionals are here to deliver high-quality solutions and wealth advice for now and well into your future. In today's episode, we'll be discussing residential lending, or more commonly known as mortgage financing. A mortgage is a tool used by many people to help purchase homes and is an important part of many of our clients' overall financial plan. With the housing market heating up these days, we are getting lots of questions from clients on, one, how best to prepare for an offer, two, how do they pre-qualify, and three, most important, what is the overall process and timing? Though buying a home is exciting, a mortgage financing tool should be taken seriously, and a good understanding of how to obtain a mortgage is important, along with how to best keep the loan in good standing well into the future. Joining me today is one of our residential lending experts and my longtime colleague, Christine DeSano. She has dedicated her career in this industry to learn the solution well, has worked with a number of clients. She and I have spent a number of meetings working with clients to work through complex situations and provide advice no matter what the economic cycle is. Chris and I have worked together for 15 plus years and we partnered on these relationships to bring appropriate solutions to the clients we serve. I look forward to you hearing from Chris. And so Chris, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Dan. I'm very happy to be here today with you as well. So am I and look forward to our conversation. So, you know, let's why don't we just get started and your perspective. But as you know, all too well, mortgage financing is not as simple and straightforward as people expect. Um, going into a mortgage, especially a jumbo or a larger mortgage, sometimes can be somewhat complex. What are you seeing and what are you hearing from clients? And uh, what are sort of the major surprises that you see when clients come to us and ask for this type of solution? You know, Dan, I think um, the biggest surprise that clients you know, that I run into with clients is the fact that they need to document so many pieces of information. Um, so when we look especially into the jumbo market, and we can talk a little bit more about that um, in the conversation, but when we look to a jumbo market, we need tend to need, you know, tax returns. Um, if the borrowers are self-employed, we'll need business returns, profit and loss statements, and that can at times become a little overwhelming to a borrower. So I think that is that is one of the biggest surprises where they will say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you need all this information. One of the good things is though, um, if you come to us and when, you know, we work with our clients so closely, we want to partner and we want to help you gather that information. So, you know, we, we look forward to using it as a team effort and we don't want to put the entire burden on the borrower. So yeah, documentation, we talk about, you know, how much information we need. Is that something industry-wide or is that related just to CIBC that we require this? Or if it's industry-wide, why is all this documents required for clients? So it, it's industry-wide when you get into, again, the jumbo category. Um, jumbo loan amounts vary based on county and state. Um, for instance, in Chicago, you'll see the jumbo market is anything over $647,200. So when you get into the jumbo category, it's fairly standard industry-wide that you need the tax returns. You would need all the W-2s. You would need the K-1s. And it, again, it's just because you're going into a hair loan amount that you need to, to really delve deep into the financial history and make sure that we have all the documentation to support the higher loan amount that's being given. So knowing all of that, does it? what's the best timing do you recommend that we uh, somebody engages with either yourself or one of our bankers? Is it 
they're thinking about buying a house but don't have anyone in target or is it after they've signed the contract and they need to close on the house transaction in the next 30 days so i mean my suggestion is always whenever the thought comes into your mind that you may be looking to potentially purchase a home in the near future that's the time to engage either myself a private banker um, who would then engage someone such as such as myself because we can at least prepare and you know, we, we can take the time. It doesn't become a rush. We can gather the documentation. We can ask the questions that need to be asked, especially for many of our more complex borrowers. And it doesn't become a bad experience for the client. So, uh, you know, we hear a lot about people asking to be pre-qualified. What's the difference between pre-qualified and approval? Because that's what I see sometimes is that clients will come up and say, you pre-qualify me. Why do you need all of this? And why isn't my loan approved? What is that difference? Yeah. So when you're pre-qualifying someone, technically, it's just you and me having a conversation and you telling me, you know, this is what my finances look like. This is what my expenses are. And based on that information, we'll do a back of the envelope analysis. And then I can say, yes, based on this, you're pre-qualified for this amount. When you actually go into a pre-approval process and, and into underwriting, that's where you really want to provide all of your tax returns, your asset statements. We actually do a loan application and we pull credit and it becomes a very detailed analysis of the income and liabilities of the borrower. Um, many times, you know, especially again with self-employed borrowers, you know, they, they may think that their income is X, but when we actually start to cash flow and when we have to follow underwriting guidelines, that income may change a bit. So that's why, again, it's really important, I think, especially the more complex the borrower is, that we do all that due diligence up front to avoid any surprises once they are into the actual home buying process. Got it. So that would, if I'm hearing you, I mean, that would help our clients know, you know, here's the type of house you can afford, what's the right purchase amount versus trying to buy something that might become an issue once they go down through the application process and they bought too expensive of a house. Absolutely. So tell us about the current industry right now. Everybody's hearing we've, you know, the housing market remains hot. It was a busy period over the last two and a half years. Are you still seeing that? Is it, is, what is competition like for home purchases today? Yeah, you know, it's, it's still a very intense market. We keep hearing, and I know, Dan, we've talked about this, you know, interest rates are, are, are high. Interest rates are still really, really good. Um, they might not be where they were six months ago, but, you know, a rate of 5% is still a really attractive rate to, to borrow with. And what's making everything so competitive is that there's no inventory out there. So it still is a very hot market. And I think from a, a buyer's perspective, it's ultra important to engage a private banker, a mortgage person early on in the process so that you can be prepared when you're in a bidding competition and you need to say, you know, I'm already pre-approved, I can close in 30 days. Um, or if we can't put a mortgage in place in 30 days between myself and the private banker, we can come up with some other solutions that would allow our borrower to buy in a quicker fashion and hopefully make the most competitive offer. Yeah. So when you say uh, other alternatives, like what would you in the short term, if we need something, is it using my own cash or what are other, some other ideas? So, you know, there, there's a few different options. We can look to do a bridge loan. Um, a bridge loan is basically if a borrower owns a home and has either no mortgage on it or a significant amount of equity built into the home, we can look at taking equity out of the home to do some bridge financing. 
in the short-term interim. Um, we can also look at doing a marketable secured line of credit that they would work with a, a private banker on. And that basically allows them to borrow against their assets and again, short-term to purchase the home. And then we could all, always come in behind and put a mortgage in place. So to that point though, you know, given there's limited inventory available to, and you have to, and clients need to move quickly on a purchase, help me understand the financing contingencies. So what happens if a client does want to put a, a mortgage in place, but you know, they know that if they disclose that they want to have a financing contingency that might knock, knock them out of contention for buying the house. So again, that's one of the options, uh, you know, of if we can have a marketable secure line of credit in place, um, and they're able to make an all cash offer. So a lot of our, our borrowers will make a cash offer with the option to finance. So basically they remove the financing contingency. They know that they, ha they have the cash to close if needed. But in the meantime, we're working in the background to put a mortgage in place. If we aren't able to put a mortgage in place in time, let's just say there's a, a 14 day close closing time, you know, we can still move forward do all the due diligence with the mortgage, and then do what's called delayed financing, which allows us to put a mortgage in place after the purchase with cash, either from your cash account, your marketable secured line of credit, or a bridge line of credit, if that's the route that we choose to, to move forward with. Got it. So we can still advise clients, just say, buy cash, and then we'll deal with them or, or work with them on a solution once they, they acquire the home. Absolutely. And and again, I think it goes back to, you know, maybe the first question that you had asked, when should someone engage us? I think it's important that we're gauged early on in the process because, you know, if someone puts in a cash offer and we say we're going to work towards some type of a financing solution for them after the fact, we also want to set expectations as to how much of a mortgage we're able to put in place. So if they pay $2 million for a home and they're looking for a, you know, one and a half million dollar mortgage and possibly we only can qualify them for a million dollar mortgage. We need to have a plan as to how we're going to shore up that 500,000 or at least meet expectations so that the client knows what to expect and how the process will go look like, what it will look like moving forward. Oh, that's a good point. When you talk about the process, what should people set their expectations on how long it will take from a mortgage from when they their their bid for a home gets accepted, they put an application in for a mortgage. How long does that typically take? Um, so, you know, that's a little bit of a tricky question. One of the, the reasons is, you know, we can say if a borrower gets us everything, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it is based on how quickly one, the borrower gets us their information and works with us to complete the loan application. The second component of that Many of the markets, it's taking a while to get appraisers out there. So if an appraiser can't, you know, get back to me with an appraisal for three weeks, then for me to commit to a 30-day closing timeline with a borrower is pretty tight. Normal circumstances, if everything falls into place, we can definitely do a mortgage within 30 days. We've done them. Ideally, 45 days is what we would like to look at for a purchase. But again, in this type of competitive market, we will do whatever we can to get the loan closed as quickly as we can, knowing that there could be some restraints that are third-party related and not related to the, the mortgage underwriting process. So we say the term mortgage, but uh, there's a lot of different options out there. Um, and we hear a lot about uh, fixed rate solutions, 15-year, 30-year, um, or ARMS. 
can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two? How should clients think about that? Or how do you present those various solutions and the pros and cons on those types of uh, different financing tools? Sure. Um, you know, the 15 and the 30 year fixed products are just what they sound like, right? You have a 15 year fixed mortgage, your rates fixed for the 15 years, you make the same principal and interest payment and your home is paid off in 15 years. 30 year fixed is the same, but you have 30 years to, to pay off your mortgage. Um, when you're in the jumbo arena and you look at an ARM product, which is an adjustable rate mortgage, your rate is fixed for the introductory period of the ARM. So if a 10 year ARM, your rate is fixed for the first 10 years, but it's still a 30 year amortizing loan. So it gives you the benefit of that 10 years of having a fixed rate. You're paying the loan off in 30 years. But what most people find is they don't live in a home for 10 years or they're going to be paying the home off before the 10 years. So the 10 years really gives them a, a solid amount of time to take the benefit of a lower interest rate that ARMS typically will offer. But there's also five to seven and 10 years. How do you determine yes. working with clients, which ones are the best or how do you, how so, do you present that? So I think there's, you know, again, a few different things to take into consideration. I think when you look at the five, seven and the 10 year arm, the first question is how long does a client expect to be there? Now, some borrowers don't know. Some know that they're just keeping this home for five years or some borrowers say, well, I want to have it paid off in seven years. So I think that's one of the things to take into consideration. How long do you really think you will be in the mortgage for? Um, the next thing to take into consideration would be the spread differential. So if there's only maybe an eighth of a point between a five and a seven year, a borrower more likely than not is going to say, I'll take the seven year because they're not sure how long they're going to be in invested in the home. And that eighth of a point spread isn't significant enough for them up to them to reduce the loan term by two years, the lock term, sorry. So I think there's a multiple things to take into consideration. So length of time in the home, um, the difference in the rate spread are the two main factors. Okay. Yeah, actually, that's interesting. You mentioned spread. So when, and I know maybe we're not seeing it as much now on refinancing, but you know, you hear a lot about folks wanting to refinance. When, what's the, your recommendation on when someone should consider refinancing their mortgage? And are there any penalties attached to that? So we do not have any, uh, you know, prepayments, uh, prepayment penalties if someone wants to refinance a mortgage. Um, typically, if you're doing a refinance, if you're cashing out, you might see a higher rate depending on what type of a product you are looking to to refinance into. Um, however, you know, in today's environment with the Fed anticipating they're going to be raising rates on prime. So when, if someone has a home equity line of credit, let's say, and it's a significantly lar a, a large home equity line of credit, they may look to say, I want to roll this into my first mortgage so that they can get a fixed rate. I think we'll see a lot of, a lot of that going on right now where people will want to fix in the rate. So they take their home equity line, they roll it into their first mortgage, and then they have one mortgage. It's still what's a very attractive rate, but they have the security of not having the floating interest rate on the home equity line. Okay. So you've mentioned home equity lines. Uh, should everybody have a home equity line? What what are sort of pros and cons of a home equity line? Home equity line lines of credits, they, again, they float with prime. So they're not a fixed rate. And more often than not, it's a second lien on your home. So it's, it's 
I'll, I'll say a second mortgage for lack of a better term, but it allows you the ability to draw up and pay down the principal as you see fit. So you're only paying interest on the amount that you have drawn on the line. They're, you know, they're a great product for someone that just needs that extra liquidity and that doesn't intend on keeping the liquidity outstanding for a lengthy amount of time. If you're, you know, if your plans are to have a home equity line and keep that line out there for a long time, it, it really isn't the best resource. Um, again, just because we're in an environment right now where, you know, prime will be going up, which means that the home equity line rate will be going up. So Chris, you talk a lot about home equity lines or, and, and I understand those are for minor remodeling, you know, smaller projects uh, around the house, whether people want to do a redo their kitchen, bathroom, or a minor room, those, those are nice solutions. But, you know, talk about your experience and advice on construction. We're seeing a lot of clients who want to build an entirely new house. They don't, they don't want the old, they want something that they've designed, they build. What are some options that are available to finance that construction project? So, um, yeah, Dan, you know, we have the option, of course, of doing a traditional construction loan, which is a great product when you're you're looking to, you know, to do a, a massive renovation, whether it's to knock down a house or, you know, as you said, just to do a, a total rebuild. Um, the beauty of a construction loan is that we have a single close construction product. So what happens is you, you lock in your rate, um, you have an interest only draw period for the amount of time that the construction takes, which, you know, depending on the size of the project could be 12 months to 24 months. And then once the construction period is done, it turns into a fully amortizing loan. At that point, you still have the beauty of having your interest rate fixed in from the time of construction for the remaining term of the ARM product. Um, the, the other nice thing about a construction loan, everything runs through the title company um, you you not only have protection, the bank has protection. Uh, you know, we would send out an inspector every time there's a request for a draw. So someone would go out, they would make sure that the amount of work that is requested on the draw request is completed. And they would make sure, you know, work with the title company to make sure that the funds that you are being paid out of are actually due. So it's a nice extra layer of security. security. Uh, construction loans can come with some, you know, hurdles um, when you're applying for a construction loan. You have to make sure you have all of the pieces, some of which would be your plans, your permits, your specs, um, your budget. So a lot of times people don't want to wait for that. And the, the other option for our wealth clients is if they have an investable account that's not retirement that we manage, we can also offer a marketable secured line of credit. So with the marketable secured line of credit, the client really can determine how much control they want to have or how much they want to engage with, you know, inspectors and draw requests and title companies. So those are the two, um, the two requests that we see the most. Got it. So let me, because uh, you said a few terminology there that we're used to, but single close, um, just talk a little bit more, explain that a little bit more, what you mean by that uh, for single close, because I know you and I take that for granted. Yeah, so, you know, the night, a single close construction loan is basically where you close on, a, it's a mortgage, um, but you're closing on a construction loan that will convert to an end loan. So you don't have to refinance and you, you do not run the risk of the rate adjustments. So it's 
pretty much what it sounds like. It's a single close. So you close once, you get your construction loan, and that construction loan just turns into an end mortgage when you're done with the construction period. So you still have your interest-only payments during the construction period, and then afterwards it converts to a fully amortized principal and interest payment. Got it. Now, what, what happens, and as we're seeing it, you know, construction projects, you, you hear the terminology, they're typically twice as long, twice as expensive. Um, that's proving out this time uh, now in this economy with the supply chains and delays. What happens if my 12-month project takes 18 months or my 18-month project takes 24? What happens? Yeah, so, you know, again, that's, I think, really why you want to make sure that you're working with a builder that knows you know, knows their stuff, but in the event that it does happen and it does happen, you would have to engage your the mortgage person that you worked with on the construction and um, sooner rather than later. And then we would obviously work with the client to to determine if we could do an extension on that and keep you in an interest only period. Um, it involves some hurdles, but again, we're here to work together and hopefully to make the process as simple as possible, um, given the fact that building your own house can be a major headache. Yeah, who can? Um, and that, to that point, you, you said there's some nice protections with the title company. Expand on that. Why is that a, a good thing for service, for some people who may not be experts in building homes and doing construction? Yeah, so the title companies, and, and even if you're, you're, you know, you're using your own money, you can still run everything through a title company. So the beauty of having a title company is that every time your general contractor um, has release of liens or partial release of liens from the subcontractors and you pay them for, you know, you, you pay them for a portion of their work, you want to make sure that the release of liens are being recorded appropriately so that when all is said and done on your project, you do not have any liens that are on title other than ultimately your mortgage and there's no surprises. So the title company monitors that along the way and they make sure that the liens are not filed when they're not supposed to be filed, or if there are some liens that are filed, they're released appropriately. Right. So that's uh, that was where I was hoping you would go because, you know, I think the key message there is even if you people are, want to use their own cash or own liquidity or other means to finance a construction project, talking to somebody like yourself or a banker, one of our private bankers, is a wise decision just because there's a lot that goes into construction projects, a lot of risk. You know, with the you know what what's being built, um, and those those lien waivers can be a nightmare. So you know, again, I think the parting advice is whether you do a construction loan or not is you know still reach out to one of your bankers um, and talk through you know various options and possibilities and advice. So. Absolutely, and and you know, Dan, when we build our own homes, things tend to get emotional, and sometimes even if we do know something, we still forget. So. Using us as a resource is something that we would always encourage, no matter you know whatever the client decides to do. But we want to make sure that we're here as a resource. Agree. Very good. A couple more questions. Yeah, I've always heard you know or people still ask us what's the tax benefit uh, when it comes to residential lending, and can I deduct all of this? What are the rules? What are you advising now, and what should people expect? So. I will, what I always tell the clients first is I'm not an accountant. So I always advise them to check with their accountants. Um, but, you know, they can still deduct $750,000 of a mortgage deduction. So I always encourage people, uh, presuming that it fits within their budget, that take the 750 if it falls within, you know, the, the loan to value guidelines that we have. And again, if it's, if it, 
creates a suitable payment to them, but maximize your deduction because rates are still really low. And then when you add into that the tax deduction that they should be able to take for the interest paid on the, the mortgage, it gives them even a better rate because they're being they're able to take off of their income. So I always suggest take the 750 if you have the ability to do it and maximize that right off. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, agree, we're one uh, advisory unit in, in hopefully the client's team of people when it comes to their accountant and their, their estate attorneys that they should work with on these, um, which leads me to my sort of last questions, like who should be the borrower? Um, should it, if, if I'm buying a house, um, should it be in my name, my wife's name? Uh, tr- can you do it in trust? And is it all kinds of trust, irrevocable trust? Or what what are you what are you seeing out there? So we cannot lend in an in irrevocable trust, um, but we can do you know we can do revocable trust. We can do some LLCs. We can do single member sole purpose LLCs if the true purpose of the home is for a primary or a second home. Um, again, we can do husband and wife's joint tenants. Um, so we can do all different types of, of vesting options. I think the important thing is to know that we want to be just one factor and a team. So a borrower may come to us and say, this is how I want to vest my home. And it may not really be the best way for them to, to title their home. So that's where we become really beneficial to our borrowers because we can talk to their financial advisors. We can work with their accountants. We can work with their attorneys. They have a dedicated private banker and we're all working together to determine what is in the borrower's best interest. And I think that's the beauty of, of CIBC and, and working together with us because we can bring a wealth of knowledge and not just look at things from um, you know, just from the mortgage perspective or just from the investment side, we're looking at the overall picture. And I, I just think that that brings a, a great amount of knowledge and, and wisdom for our borrowers. Very good. So as we wrap up, Chris, what, uh, give me your top two or three best advice for that people should be thinking about when they come or are considering this, what, 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 give us your parting advice. Um, get us involved early. And, you know, just let us help as much as we can share as much information as you can. And I think that that helps to set the expectation and it helps to ease anxiety for for all parties. Um, This way we can deliver on what's expected of us and we can set the expectations for our borrowers. So I think involving us early on, even if you think it might be a year out, engage us and then we can, you know, we can at least point you in the right direction. Well, Chris, thank you. And as always, very enlightening your perspective and knowledge of the residential mortgage lending space. As you described, buying a home can seem intimidating, especially if the buyer is ill-prepared. So your insight is a great way to ease concerns for anyone looking to get into a new home. Thank you all for joining us on our podcast with a focus on residential lending solutions. As you heard, there is a complexity to obtaining this solution, but one that should be considered when making a home purchase. Any questions, please reach out to me or your private banker or your private mortgage banker at CABC to assist in any way. A smooth mortgage process will happen when clients collaborate with our bankers and communicate clearly on questions, expectations, and overall timing. When done appropriately, residential financing can be a good tool to utilize in one's overall financial plan. Please join us at our next episode where we'll talk about deposits and liquidity management, so please be sure to check back soon. In the meantime, check us out at 
us.cibc.com or across several social media platforms by search at CIBC underscore US. Thank you for listening and we look forward to catching up again soon. CIBC Private Wealth Management includes CIBC National Trust Company, CIBC Delaware Trust Company, CIBC Private Wealth Advisors Incorporated, all of which are wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC Private Wealth Group LLC and the private banking division of CIBC Bank USA. All of these entities are wholly owned subsidiaries of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. This document is intended for informational purposes only, and the material presented should not be construed as an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Concepts expressed are current as of the date of this publication only and may change without notice. Such concepts are the opinions of our investment professionals, many of whom are chartered financial analyst charter holders or certified financial planner professionals. Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards Incorporated owns the certification marks CFP and Certified Financial Planner in the U.S. There is no guarantee that these views will come to pass. Past performance does not guarantee future comparable results. The tax information contained herein is general and for informational purposes only. CIBC Private Wealth Management does not provide legal or tax advice, and the information contained herein should only be used in consultation with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors. To the extent that information contained herein is derived from third-party sources, although we believe the sources to be reliable, we cannot guarantee their accuracy. The CIBC logo is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Investment products are not FDIC insured, may lose value, and are not bank guaranteed. Private banking solutions are offered through CIBC Bank USA, member FDIC and equal housing lender. CIBC Bank USA and CIBC Private Wealth Group LLC are both indirect, wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC. CIBC Private Wealth Group and its subsidiaries do not provide and are not responsible for the products and services offered by CIBC Bank USA. CIBC Bank USA will not pay employees of CIBC Private Wealth Group or its subsidiaries for referring clients to bank, but to the extent permitted by applicable laws and regulations, the referral of clients to bank for eligible products or services may be considered by CIBC Private Wealth Group in determining discretionary compensation to employees. Loans subject to credit approval.